Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Fish. Before we get going, we just want to let you know we have a very, very exciting guest across the pond. An international sensation. Someone that if you are a follower of great science and comedy over in America is going to be a household name to you. It is the brilliant Hank Green. Hank is someone that we have been following for years and years. We watch his videos. He's very much a fish vibe and we've wanted him on for about nine years. And finally, the moment happened and he managed to come on. And uh, it was it was so much fun to speak to him. He himself has a podcast that I highly recommend you listen to if you haven't heard it yet called SciShow Tangents. Very fishy as well. It's him and his two friends, um, Seri Riley and Sam Schultz. And what they do is each week they try and just one up each other and amaze each other with weird, funny, research and uh it's it's fun and facts so do give it a go and uh and i'm, I'm actually going to be on it in a, a month or so I, I don't know the scheduling of it but um yeah i'm going to be fighting fighting facts with hank green and uh Sari and sam so do give it a go check it out um check out his books as well his novels are absolutely amazing and of course he does all the stuff with his brother john you got to check that out as well if you haven't heard it. it's just one of those polymaths of nerd comedy so give him a go uh we really hope you enjoy the show one quick thing to mention if you're listening to us on a platform where you haven't followed us please can you press the follow button uh it, it really helps us to bump up the charts do that with scishow tangents as well give them a follow and otherwise enjoy hank green on no such thing as a fish here we go on with the show Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from four undisclosed locations around the world. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and Hank Green. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Hank. My fact is, the Kaktovik number system created by Inupiat schoolchildren based on their languages system of counting makes math easier. Right. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. How so? <laughs> um, I should say, to start, it would make math much harder if you are you, unfortunately. Oh, no. Was that specifically me, Hank? Cause that... <laughs> well, I'm just guessing that you use a base, a base 10 number system, um, and so converting constantly between base 10 and base 20 would be very difficult. <laughs> so Dan and the rest of us, um, we count in base 10. So that means that mm -hmm. if you've got a number, say, let's say 123, the, the number three at the end is three units, yeah. the number two is two tens, and yeah. the number one is one hundreds, right? Right. Okay. Uh, and in base 20, we've got it so the third number again is the number of units, but then the second number would be the number of twenties mm -hmm. in a number, and the first number would be the number of four hundreds, which is 20 times 20. Yeah. So... Uh, like, for instance, one, two, three in a base 20 would be uh, one. Uh, the three is the same. And yeah. then two would be two times 20, which is 40. And then the one would be one times 400, which is 400. So one, two, three would actually equate to 443. 
Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. What I, okay. what I really like about the um, this counting system is it was created. Is, it, is this right for a school project in 1994? <laughs> yeah. So they they had <laughs> they had a, a system of counting that it would be basically one two three four five and then five one five two five three five four five etc. And then once you got to twenty, they would start over again with it. So it's like the base twenty system with a sub base of five. So it's like two different bases in the counting system that the, the people there used. But they created the number system as a class project. The teacher was like, okay, like you, you have a counting system, but it doesn't have numbers. So let's create the number system. And it was the first number system created in the Western <laughs> Hemisphere in like 100 years. <laughs> cool. And every number is actually composed of strokes that represent that number. So one is one stroke, two is a V, two strokes, three is like a backwards N, three. And then, uh, and four is like a W. And then, oh my God, this is so cool and weird. <laughs> you strike on the top and that's five. So five with nothing under it is five. Um, and then you five with one stroke beneath it is six. What, the five stroke with two strokes beneath it is seven, etc. And then when you get to the next five, you do two strokes at the top. That represents 10. And then you add more strokes to the bottom until you get up to 20. And then you start over at one and zero. And that means that when you look at them, first of all, it's representing exactly what the number is. But like that becomes very, you know, innate with anything. Like we know that four means four, even though four doesn't really look like four. Uh, but you can actually just, if you want to subtract or add, you just take the shape away that you're trying to subtract. So if you've got a seven and you want to take away three, you look and the three is in the seven and you take the three away. That's very cool. Oh, wow. Is it being used now? Has it been adopted for anything? Yeah, so it spread across a lot of native Alaska communities because they had this counting system and having number systems for it was good. Um, But then... And so it spread pretty pretty quickly and pretty far. And actually, the, the math scores for those areas went up to above average for the U.S., but then you started to get things like the like you know school funding based on performance on assessment tests, and that was going to be based in a base ten system, right? It's going to be based with Arabic numerals, and so the uh, the school stopped teaching it, except in like specifically in UPIT language classes, and and also like you can't type them into a calculator or a computer. But then recently, like within the last few weeks, it was announced that Unicode is actually going to be putting these numbers into its system. So you will be able to use Inupiat uh, characters in computers and build calculators that use them and function. Very cool. God, it's incredible. Very cool. Do they have any ownership over this kind of new system? Like these kids? Are they going to be, are they going (laughs) to be the next Bezos and Musk? Absolutely coining it in. This happened in in the 90s when this like classroom sort of developed the number system and then, you know, kind of got started spreading around. And so now those school children are, I assume, my age, because I was in, I was in high school in the 90s, and I, I, do, I do not know like where the, the actual kids are who helped develop That's amazing. They're all in Silicon Valley. They get, yeah. they get, uh, it's, it'd be weird to have like a royalty on a number system, but I'm for it. I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. I find it amazing when you read about kids who notice something that, I, I guess it's just that thing of, oh, it's a kid noticing it over an adult who works in this area. There was, yeah. I haven't actually researched this. It's just a memory of there's a a kid, I think he was a teenage, late teens, who, when he was being taught stuff from Newton's um, Principia, he 
discovered a mistake. No one had seen it. Just he's correcting <laughs> Newton, which is an astonishing thing to do. And they all looked at him and went, oh, yeah, that's completely wrong. Or I was reading about, have you heard about the Futurama theorem? No. So this is years ago. I went out for dinner in London with a few of the Simpsons writers, a guy called mm-hmm. Al Jean and a few other people who um, they were in town because there's a great scientist here, mathematician called Simon Singh, who is a um, he wrote a book because he noticed that there was lots of mathematics inside Simpsons episodes. And it turns out all the head writers of the Simpsons are all math geeks. They all went to Harvard and they all are like have written papers and so on. And so a lot of Simpsons episodes, there's hidden equations and, you know, Fermat's last theorem and stuff. And I'm presuming you're not referring to the bit where Bart needs to escape a, a lion cage and he works out the Roman numeral for seven by adding Rocky five and Rocky two together. Are you saying something even more complicated than that? It's just a bit yeah. smidge, It's a very yeah. good gag, that one. But there's a, um, there was an episode of Futurama so it was the writers of The Simpsons who went over to that where they had to solve a problem which was it was an episode called The Prisoner of Bender and uh, a guy called Ken Keeler needed to have a thing where he was talking about the idea of minds being swapped into other people and how could you get the mind back into someone if the mind could only travel once it was quite a complicated thing and he he worked out by adding two extra people no matter how many people were having their brain swapped would mean that all the brains could return to the original person all the memories could go back to the original person and that was a new development in mathematics it's called the futurama theorem <laughs> wow that's its ah. own thing now yeah so they, they had to create that's it awesome. to solve a plot problem within <laughs> the cartoon that is really cool um i have a i have a thing i'd, I'd like to bring up about this because i saw people talking about it because this unicode news is is new and because this is like countable, like you can actually count the strokes, people were saying, well, that's also true of Arabic numerals. You just count mm. the angles. So uh, with, with, you know, four, there's like, you know, dot, 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 basically. And with seven, there can't be seven angles in a seven, right? Mm. Uh, but if you put the stroke in the middle, then you can make it so okay. that it counts up to seven. And this has been a, a myth for a long time that uh, it was created like that way intentionally. This is a way that you can do, like, use Arabic numerals and you can, like, count angles and, like, basically make an eight in a certain way where it has eight angles. But that's not a thing that, like, I see people saying all the time that this is, like, an intentional thing. And it was, like, how Arabic numerals Mm. happened is not. People were making weird (laughs) squiggles and they were representative of something at some point and then people forgot what they were representative of and just were, like, yeah, that that means cool. Light letters, I guess, the Mm. same, right? Yeah, just starting out with yeah. shapes Ma- mandarin i i i speak a bit of mandarin uh from my childhood and so the counting when you write out the counting one to ten one is a stroke of one two is a stroke of two three strokes of it and then they just give up they just <laughs> let it just what? yeah six is suddenly one two three four seven is two n- two strokes huh. eight two strokes yeah they're doing yeah, so you got, well but you've got to give up you've got to give up at some point with that system <laughs> yeah we have the opposite of that, where most of our greater than 10 numbers have a system, you know, mm-hmm. like 21, 35, but 11 and 12 are just like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to be different. We want to be crazy. And then you can get to 13, 14, 15. But I want to be 11. I was reading about 11 and 12. A fun word. I was reading about, it, it's kind of 12, if, it's, it's all about if you take 10 away from those numbers. So 12, if, uh, 12 comes from 12, if, and that means two left. 
Oh, does it? You can oh. take ten away. You have two left. Well, where the heck does eleven come from then? I, it's a, it's an even more tortured etymology, <laughs> I think. But it's basically <laughs> one left if you take ten away. But I can't remember why you're taking ten away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the Hank. I have a question for you because you seem to know a lot about this, right? So, the base ten is it because we have ten fingers? We think yeah. that's why we count in base ten. Yep. So the um, the Kaktovik number system. Are we thinking that they counted with their toes as well? I think some that. Of it? Yeah. Or? I think that that is correct mm. i think that's that's basically the case how interesting and, they, and there were also i don't know if it was babylonian but like an, one original number system is base 60 which we still have for degrees and we have it for mm, minutes yeah. like it sticks around in weird places i wonder what they did because there are some base 12 numbering systems there's not yeah. that many but there's like i think there's one in like nepal and some in africa and stuff and i think the idea of that is you count between your fingers right yeah it's like the little dip in between each finger counts as one yeah what i want to believe is that they recognized that it was better because base 12 is better it's just better is it? like that's why we we use base 12 because we have one and two dozen like that's a base 12 way of counting mm. kind of mm. and be, because it's more divisible by more things and th that's why we keep using dozens is because you can divide it up more easily and make different better shapes out of it when you're shipping stuff around that's interesting okay uh in ancient china they in sorry in ancient japan dan you were talking about how it was in china in chinese you had the lines in mandarin yeah mm. in mandarin yeah so um in ancient japan they used to actually use sticks to count with and in the same way we might use a calculator or whatever you would use actual sticks so you would do one two three four and then you would take them away or add them mm. or whatever uh and then they came up with the zero because zero isn't a natural thing like most yeah. The number systems don't have a zero to start off with and that they work out that they need it in order to do like tens, hundreds and thousands yeah. and stuff like that. And so they started using a Go stone, so a stone from the game okay. Go as a zero. And then as soon as they worked out that they could have a zero, they started being able to use abacuses, which had come over from China, and they stopped using these sticks almost overnight. And you can see all this writing of these teenagers who say, our parents are using these sticks to do all this counting. We can't work out how it works. We have no idea what's going on. We use abacuses because obviously that's the best way of doing it. We have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, it's like new math. Like, like Common Core comes out in the US and suddenly the parents are like what are these kids with their beads yeah <laughs> what are they doing they're filling up a whole piece of paper to divide 12 by 2 it's so, so confused um, you know how if you count to a million and you count a number a second it takes about 11 days and if you count to a billion it takes 30 years okay. right yeah. there is someone who's counted to a million I think he might be the first person ever to count to a million he's a, an Alabama man called Jeremy Harper. So Hank, one of your countrymen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> counted counted to a million. It took him eighty nine days. But he managed wow. to Okay. That yeah. seems doable. It's I guess you just like you sort of write it down when you go to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, exactly. let's start up again. Oh he, God. yeah, he did yeah. he did write it down. He did yeah. But if you're gonna take sleep breaks, you might as well take other breaks. You might as well like you, it, you could I could count to a million over thirty years. Would that count? Also, once you've got to a million, do you feel bad stopping? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta carry on at that point. You've got to you ever carry wake on. up in the morning and he's like, Well, a million and one. 
a million and two, a million and three, a million and three. <laughs> and also, like, was he doing it out loud? Was he actually saying the words or was he doing it in his oh, head? Oh, yeah. No, he was, oh, James, he was definitely, anyone could say they counted to a million in their head. But he, he was streaming, he was live streaming the entire process. Oh, right. oh, Some oh, poor he? wife sitting at home going, fuck, I have to listen to this, all of it. <laughs> That, I remember there was a period in the early 2000s, around 2000 and like, no, so not quite early, but like 2007, where counting to a million became a thing. I had two friends who were racing each other to count to a million. Um, and, and that was really annoying. We'd be at the pub and they're just counting out loud and one's like a thousand ahead and I'm trying to have a chat. And I, don't, I can't even remember where they got up to. I think we just all stopped being friends. It really got in the way. That, that sounds like the right decision. <laughs> Dan, if he made a mistake, did he have to go back to the start? Because I think under the pressure of just counting, I reckon I'd make mistakes. Yeah. I reckon I'd go oh, to, yeah. from 111 to 119 by accident. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you uh, you would have loved the pub chat there, James. I'm just I mean, I can't count $100 without starting over. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is, some people can control their own goosebumps. Oh, that kind of gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Maybe. Like I got some tingles in the back of my head. Well, there's a one in 1500 chance you are one of the chosen ones. I'm not. It's called VGP, Voluntarily Generated Pilo Erection. And the Pilo Erection is the term for getting goosebumps. There's got to be a better term. No sniggering at the back. I imagine, it's, 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 what is the, what's the prefix pico mean, Hank? Because that means very small, right? Little, tiny. Yeah. So you don't want to get your pico erection mixed up with your pilo erection. Uh, um... Yeah, so this so norm- normally you get goosebumps when you're cold or you're watching an exciting movie or you're having mm-hmm. a big emotion. <laughs> yep. You know, I mean, yep. there are a few, few different <laughs> that, things. Yeah, I've, I've seen this episode of Taskmaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously it's, it's, well, not obviously really, but the, what, what happens is your body is trying to raise your hairs on end, the hairs, the sort of remains of the hairs that were once thick mm-hmm. and all over our bodies mm-hmm. to create a fluffy layer all over you, keep yeah. you warm. Andy, sorry, just still yeah. thick on Dan's case. I, that's what yeah, I'm sorry. thinking. <laughs> I'm, I've not progressed from the ancient yeah. man. And You actually do get warmer. <laughs> uh, you, do you get slightly warmer if you get goosebumps? He <laughs> gets much bigger. I oh, get yeah. way bigger. Yeah, I inflate. <laughs> late it's um no that's i mean it the, the the wording of that i read that as well does make it sound as if a predator's coming you get scared you go like you a blow dried dog and mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't see that being an intimidating size difference to a human oh, no, but it makes a big difference i mean it's it's a bigger difference when it's a, t- a tiny bird for example fluffing up its feathers you know that that yeah. is more oh, yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. a difference in a cat as well like when my cat's been fighting outside one of the other cats she comes <laughs> back and she's really fluffy she's properly big yeah does your cat fight mm. james sorry uh she's a northern cat yeah yeah northern I mean, cat. <laughs> i don't james i don't mean to cast aspersions but she looks like the most pampered house cat i didn't i can't believe she goes outside yeah well you should hear what she says about you I wouldn't come around if I were you. <laughs> wow. Oh, we're learning so so anyway, sorry, there are these <laughs> So you've got the fo- God, you've got the follicles all, all over you and they have yeah. that every follicle has a, a a little nerve in it which is connected to a tiny muscle um which can contract and haul mm-hmm. the hair up on end. So that normally happens if you're cold. And you can give yeah. yourself 
uh, goosebumps if you think of you know an, a, a big emotional occasion or thinking of fingernails down a blackboard that's slightly different to what the one in 1500 people with VGP can do they don't think about something else to right. give themselves goosebumps they just they just get it, it. They can, yeah. they can, How do you know, though? Are they in an MRI machine when they do it? Because maybe they're just good at thinking about blackboards. Yeah, this this seems <sighs> to be shout. going on trust, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. This the article that you sent round, Andy. There's uh, there's the person who's the case study uh, that they're talking to called Travis Carrasco, and he just sits back and forth, like <laughs> moving his head back and forth, and like and his parents will be like, "What are you doing?" And he's saying, "I'm giving myself goosebumps," and and so that's that's how he does it. But what's What's really interesting? He's a I mechanical engineer. Oh, he's not a child. <laughs> no, this, he's 29. He's 29, a mechanical engineer from Las Vegas. And the article starts by saying, he's a normal individual. He loves coloring with colored pencils, <laughs> likes leadership's books, and what? the color green. That's that's his description. That's not normal. That's bad profile writing. Could you not find something more normal about this man? Yeah. Is there anything else you can give me? Anything else? No, it's just colored colored pencils is my leadership. Thing. It's not much of a superhero thing, is it, Dan, really? Oh. Like you know, if you turn up at the X-Man Academy and say that this is what I well, can do. Well, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it's it's supposed to be autonomic. Like it's like being able to yeah. decide that you're Heart breathes or breathes. Heart beats faster. Yeah. If you decide to make your heart breathe, that is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw recently a study from the University of Padova, and they found that the neurons which um, fire in your brain when you get goosebumps. So it's not a deliberate thing, but there are neurons firing. Mm -hmm. The ones that fire are the same ones as make your nipples erect. Yeah, that makes Ooh. sense. So that's interesting, isn't it? It's well, like a, the, it's the the biggest of the goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if these one in 1,500 people can also make their nipples erect at will. Wow. That would be a better what skill. What a skill. Good question. Mm. Travis! <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about your nipples! Put down those colouring pencils. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Travis. It might have been another person talking about it. But so when, when they're getting the rocking feeling, he said the goosebumps will start on the back of his head, mm. the back of his neck. So sorry, the bottom of his head, the bottom of his neck and his bottom. So it's, oh. it's, it's, yeah, I don't really think about goosebumps on my butt. Exactly. No. I've never thought about goosebumps. Bum, yeah, goosebumps. 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 <laughs> um, but apparently that's where he can get it. And then it kind of just envelopes his whole body. Um, <laughs> envelopes, you mean? <laughs> no, no, envelopes. Oh, right. um, <laughs> yep. do, oh. go do geese have goosebumps? No, they don't. They don't get them, I believe, because oh, they, really? they've got feathers. I don't think they have the muscles connected to the... If you pluck a, a dead goose or a live goose, then it'll it'll, <laughs> it'll have, have a kind bumps. of puckered... Yeah, yeah it'll have bumps. Yeah, it looks but like actually, they should be called chimpanzee bumps or cat bumps or something. Or human bumps. I mean, bumps, yeah. Just call them bumps. Skin bumps. Yeah. Well, they, they should be called pylo-erections, clearly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the OED says that goosebumps is an American word and British people have um, either goose flesh, hen flesh, or goose skin. Oh, because I thought the American was goose pimples. Yeah, I've heard goose, yeah. goose flesh is quite an old-fashioned. Um, yeah. yeah, you get yeah. that in an old novel, maybe. I, uh, I definitely see why you guys are slowly switching over to ours, uh, because goose flesh is gross. <laughs> Another one yeah. you can have is anserine skin, which I really like, and anserine means like a goose. 
It's that's, like like bovine is like a cow and serine is like a nice. goose. It's right. good to have that word just yeah. in case. Um, Darwin was really interested in goosebumps. Darwin wanted to see, particularly on animals, what it was, like what was this thing that was happening to them. And so he used to go to zoos um, and he used to investigate (laughs) Goosebumps by bringing a stuffed snake with him and just chucking it at animals and giving them this sensation of of fear. And then he would just note down. This is a man who really doesn't want to finish his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was he loved pilo erection. He was very into it and he would constantly be looking at it and um, he could see it in dogs and baboons and parrots. I mean, it's great. I wish there needs, there needs to be more talk about Darwin's sort of like, you know, how he used to play what was it bassoon, bassoon. to his yeah, uh, his worms. to his plants and yeah, yeah stuff like yeah. that. There was a team of uh, of scientists in Korea and in 2015 they developed a thing which was a goosebump detector so hmm. this is very cool it's um it's this tiny patch that you can stick on your skin and uh it's developed by a, a professor young ho cho and he was watching a reality tv show a music survival reality show and he wondered if you could calculate people's emotional response so when people say i'm getting chills listening to this you can Mm. assess the truthfulness of that statement. <laughs> Are they really multiplying? Is the question. Yeah. <laughs> Are you really losing control? <laughs> Better shape up. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy called Dacha Keltner at the University of California, uh, and he uses this system to measure people's goosebumps. And he calls himself an awe scientist. So he checks out when things are awesome. Ah, so Californian. That's good. They found that if you make someone look at like a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton or a huge tree or, you know, something really amazing, then you yeah. sign your name smaller. And the reason being that you kind of oh. think of how amazing the world is and how small you are in proportion no. to it. And you sign your name wow. smaller. Isn't that amazing? Oh, man. Yeah, that's... I've never noticed that. I'll, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to write my name next time I'm near a big tree. Oh, <laughs> that is a very Californian thing. Which bit of America are you in, Hank? Montana. Oh, oh okay. So It's not- like California, but not culturally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. I just... It feels like, you know, in California, that's the way you get grants. You say, well, I'm studying how rad things are. <laughs> how sweet these waves are. Um, My favourite Goosebumps of all, of course, are the ones uh, in print by R.L. Stein. Oh, Oh, wonderful series of books. And something really interesting is that I was was watching an interview with him last night, just went down a little R.L. Stein Mm. rabbit hole. What a career that guy had. He started writing the Goosebump books when he was in his 40s. He was like 46, I think, when he started. Prior to that, he wrote like computer joke books. He did novelizations of, you know, the movie Spaceballs? Mel, uh-huh. um, Mel Brooks's movie. Yeah. He did the novelization of Spaceballs. So he had this whole other I think career. the novel is better than the film in that case, isn't it? There's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone reads the novelizations of comedy films. There are actually some people who can consciously give themselves Spaceballs. So that's another one. <laughs> <laughs> but but he, he was saying just within, his, um, within the Goosebump books, he says, they're not really scary. I could have made them really scary, but I keep real life out. That's what's really scary. Uh, so he says, yeah. there's no divorce, no divorced parents uh-huh. in Goosebumps. There's no child abuse. There's no real world life. It's it's mm-hmm. fantasy. The scare is a kind of subtle. They sca- are scary. Well, I've, I've read more than my fair share of Goosebumps when I was a small boy and they were terrifying. Yeah, but you didn't read that one where the whole story is just two parents go 
going through a messy divorce, didn't you? That's, <laughs> that's real scariness. I think it turns out he was wrong. He has put it in and not realized it. But that that was his ambition. Uh, okay. okay, you said that he um, wrote them. He started writing them in his forties. I think he yeah. kind of almost finished writing them in his forties, right? Because he yeah. wrote sixty-two books in five years. It's yeah. insane. Wow. He was pumping out one a month, I think. Oh my god! Was... He said that he could write them in six days. One of these books. <laughs> It's incredible. Ah, this is the good life, the opposite of Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you one more thing about skin? Oh, oh yeah. yes, please. Skin I in love general. Skin. Yeah. So, this is really interesting. Growing skin is really uh, difficult because it's well. Actually, growing skin flat is easy, but it then, if you're grafting skin that you have artificially made, it's very hard to stitch it around a body part. You know, right? Because we're not flat. So this year, this is very exciting, scientists at Columbia University, they've worked out how to grow skin in very complicated shapes. So one of the first things they did, they, they've made a human glove, a, a hand made of skin, Ugh. if you like. Ah. I know, and you can just Andy, slot can it I on. just ask? Sorry, yeah. Andy, because um, I can see your hands now, but I can't tell whether or not you're wearing one of these skin gloves. I'm wearing, I'm, I'm wearing a whole skin me actually. I'm wearing, a, I'm in a full body suit of, of my skin. Sounds comfy. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's genuinely very excited. They they scan the hat. Let's say I need a full hand skin. You know, let's say I've burned all the skin on my hand. Yeah. You know, they just they can scan your hand. They make a model of it. They grow the skin on a cut that scaffold. Then they remove it from the mold and they. Can can just put it on for the surgery Whoa. and i just love this so much they tested this they they've they haven't done a human trial yet they tested this by grafting skin onto mice with human hands on a mouse yeah, just a giant <laughs> human hand sticking <laughs> off the mouse. <laughs> no it's better it's better than that they 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 put a, i think a pair of human skin shorts on the back end of the mice what? and they yeah Oh, I know. Wow. <laughs> Would a mouse wear human skin pants like this or like this? <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that early ideas for communicating with extraterrestrials included digging massive holes in the Saharan desert, filling them with oil, and lighting them every night so that passing aliens could see it. Also, building a mirror so large it could send a beam of light to Mars to burn written messages into the ground for the Martians to read. So for the Martians to read and not like feel as if they are being lasered from space. <laughs> yeah, imagine if like a huge laser came down from space and just burnt a massive hole in the earth and then everyone's screaming and someone goes, oh, wait a minute, it says hi. Yeah, it's one of those smiley faces. Yeah. yeah. And just by chance, the Martians speak and read English. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, there wasn't great thinking behind it. This was uh, this is a fact, by the way, that I found in probably my favorite pop science book that I've read in a very long time. It's called Is Anyone Out There? And it's by the late great, he only died last year. It's so upsetting. Frank Drake, who people might know from Drake's Equation. He was very much a mm -hmm. part of the greatest push for searching for E.T. Uh, he's the founder of SETI along with Carl Sagan and uh, numerous other scientists and 
lot of people for a very long time, up until quite recent, thought that there probably was Martian cities and that there were Martians living there and we couldn't quite see them. So plans have been as big as building a mirror that can beam a laser down to burn into the ground all the way through to sort of almost crowdfunder things to um, raise money to cover the entire Eiffel Tower in mirrors so that every night at sunset, as the light was beaming off it, it could be bounced in direction of Mars just to let them know, we know you're there and we're just trying to say hi. Wow. I suppose rather than putting words, a lot of them thought we would put like you know, a right angle triangle or, a, you know, something that people would recognize. It's a math thing. Yeah. yeah. Prime numbers. Something that the aliens would go, ah, these guys like maths. That's... Yeah, well, that's right. Mm. The one particularly, the Saharan Desert one, the idea, um, it was a guy called Johann von Littro um, who wanted the shapes of what they were digging to be a triangle and a square and a circle. It would look like a giant PlayStation uh, symbols on the on the game. <laughs> Sort of as you were passing mm. Earth, it was it was all of these shapes. Uh, there was another person who thought, "What if we did Pythagoras's theorem? Because that would then display that we know advanced math, that we understand that, and they know there's an intelligent civilization down here." Yeah, that was Gauss, wasn't it? Who thought that? Yeah, who, you know, who's that? Gauss was one of the best mathematicians. Oh, okay, in history, I thought there were about three hundred different ways of proving Pythagoras's theorem, though. What if, and so if you put one up, you don't know that the aliens will know that particular one. I don't one. think we were necessarily going to put the proof up so much as <laughs> an example of it. <laughs> okay. You know, it's always seemed to me a little bit much that, that uh, here on Earth, some people uh, just sort of can unilaterally decide like, hey, uh, I want to send a message to that star. And, and then they do that. Or I don't know that it was a ton of people who decided to put like a, a golden record on Voyager to be like, here's what we are and where we are and what we look like. Mm. Uh, it seemed like yeah. it was a pretty small, small group kind of unilaterally making that Cause, call. Yeah, because it might prompt a terrible, it might prompt a very bad reaction from whoever receives it. I mean, in the case of Voyager, I, it seems pretty symbolic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They, they find it and think these people are peace-loving. They're chumps. They will, <laughs> they will absolutely roll over as soon as we invade. Yeah. There was a guy called Joe Davis who in 1986 sent the first art piece into space. Mm -hmm. And he did that pretty unilaterally. Well, he had a little bit of help because his piece was called Poetica Vaginal. Uh, and he recorded the vaginal oh. contractions of Boston ballet ballerinas and then sent that recording, that radio recording into space. Okay. Wait, and are we, can we hear it now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any ballerinas with me, I'm afraid. Trying yeah. to think of what um, it sounds like. Okay. Again, it's a very sort of peace-loving, artistic message to send. I do think we should invest in sending threats into space. I think if someone sent me through the post a CD and I put it into my CD player and it was the vaginal contractions of ballet dancers, <laughs> I would find that quite threatening. Yeah. I don't think I would yeah. find it as threatening as a space laser, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it's a warning. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing is um, like they sent music into space, like recordings of music, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The first one that they did was a load of Russian teenagers who sent a theremin concert. You know, these theremins mm. is like a big Ooh. stick and the more you put your hand next to it, it goes, Woo! yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there was no more music sent into space um, deliberately towards a star for seven years, at which time NASA sent across the universe by the Beatles. Mm. And I just
just wonder if aliens just got those two messages they must have thought we had a hell of a good run after the theremin music to the Beatles yeah. wow they really cracked music with their second song <laughs> <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's very exciting um, the way that there's so many different hypotheses about why we haven't made communication with any aliens. Um, there's there's a guy called David Brin who's a fiction writer, but he also has this great collection of of all the different theories and his his thinking behind why that might be or might not be possible. There's a really nice one that I love, which is the Waterworld hypothesis. And the theory goes that <laughs> the aliens have seen that movie and thought yeah. we're not going there. <laughs> yeah, they just they just talk about yeah, it really went over budget apparently, and all sorts of yeah issues with the script. Um, they uh, the water the water world hypothesis is that the idea that there is plenty of life out there, but much like dolphins who are seen as sort of the other great intelligent life on our planet, they're also stuck underwater and they can't get above it. Because we're living in... What do you mean they're stuck underwater? Well, we're living, in a, we're living on a planet which is very much in this idea of a Goldilocks belt, right? Where we've got a lot of landmass and mm -hmm. we've got a lot of oxygen to breathe and so on. We're, we're in a beauty spot and it's very rare to be in that beauty spot. So the thought is yeah. that there is life, but it's underwater. What do you mean? If I, it's a surface. Just no, go up to the surface. Up. Have you not seen The Little Mermaid? <laughs> Yeah, it's dangerous. Well, it does. It definitely creates a huge problem for space travel. So, like, uh -huh. if you're a wet, if you need wet yeah. to walk around in, then you got to carry that wet up with you to space, yeah. and that's much much heavier than carrying a bunch of air up with you, sloshing yeah. around. But d d John Lilly, who we've talked about on the podcast before, he... Who, who, who you, Dan, you have talked about on the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read a whole chapter on him in my book. I love the guy. He, um, he tried to create cars that would be driven on the road which were filled with water that you would so you'd be on the road you turn to your left and there'd be a dolphin sort of swimming away in his car yeah he was he's a genius guys dan you mentioned seti earlier on and they're looking for i think radio waves they are yeah um, but they've like they're they're checking various different parts of the universe at different times um but i read one comparison that um so far the whole of seti since they started has checked so little of the universe that it's the equivalent of checking one hot tub worth of water compared with all the amount of water in all the earth's oceans it's a big place james famously it's a, yeah it's wow. a famously large but <laughs> but no that's incredible it's like getting one hot tub of water and going, oh, there's no fish in here, so there's no fish at all. Yeah. Yeah. But you're more likely to find you, the wristwatch you dropped in your hot tub yes. than in all the oceans in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. You know. Well, I'm glad that we didn't do the burning lots of oil in the desert thing, because one, one of them would be maybe destroying Mars, but the other one would be definitely destroying Earth. Yeah. And like us better. And it would be no use, because I, I, I think someone worked out that if Neil and Buzz were standing on the moon looking back at Earth from Apollo 11 missions, um, they just would have no view of it whatsoever. Like, it's just not practical. The Earth is so tiny, even from that distance, that you wouldn't be able to make that out. Those yeah. stupid people. I read them, <laughs> in fact, I worked this out a while ago. If you wanted to write the word high on the moon in such a way that you would be able to see it from Earth, even, mm -hmm. um, well, just as in, you would look on the moon and in one of the eyes of the of the man on the moon, you'd be able to see the word high, then the cross of the H would have to be the distance of about, I think it was something like Cardiff to Edinburgh, something like that, right. just that one H. Yeah, 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 exactly. The moon is bigger than I thought it would be. The moon's quite big, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> you always think of the moon as being tiny, you know, get around it in Do half an hour. That is very Do big. I? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you seeing Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong after they get back. Go, oh, so you saw the whole thing then. <laughs> what do you mean you stayed near the ship? God, you're such tourists. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that Joey Helpish and Kristen Muir have made more than $10,000 from their song, Poopy Stupid Butt. <laughs> Sounds like a banger. I'm sure any record label will be happy to have yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you could <laughs> you is? could make more from a song called Poopy Stupid Butt. Like, I think what it is is, is that they accidentally made $10,000 without without <laughs> recognizing it that's awesome in that case that's a good way of wording it yeah the reason being they've made that money because children shout the words poopy stupid butt or play poopy stupid butt into alexa and alexa just plays it and the reason they know this i read this in an article um on buzzfeed by katie notopoulos uh, and she spoke to a lot of these people who do these kind of things uh, and they realized that when they look at all the revenue for all their songs it's all coming from Amazon Music mm. and most musicians would get most of their money from Apple or, or from Spotify or whatever but these people who are getting it from mostly from Amazon Music because it's attached to Alexa they're pretty certain that the reason yeah. they're getting it is because people are shouting things into their Alexa and now yeah. there are people who would deliberately make songs well I mean <laughs> shouting maybe maybe they're politely <laughs> saying maybe they're politely just children politely asking to hear <laughs> stupid it, it could be polite yeah in fairness I, I'm giving the, the children a bad name there uh, but yeah there are people now who go out there and, and deliberately make songs that children will say to Alexa just so they can make more money what it's about what, okay what about things that grown ups will say so for example where are my keys like if you're going <laughs> I, I, or have you seen you know do you know what time they're coming round? You know, that kind of stuff. Can I just ask, Andy, how often do you ask Alexa where your keys are? I don't have an Alexa. At a certain point, you're panicking, right? You'll ask anybody. Well, there is a guy that Katie, who wrote this article, um, interviewed. It's, an, it's a, someone she knows called Matt Farley. And exactly what you're saying, Andy, he composes songs. He's composed more than 23,000 songs. They're really short, but he uses phrases that might be asked by Alexa, therefore generating him an income. So he'll use any kind of phrase or he'll use a celebrity's name inside a song so that accidentally the song will be played. Um, his biggest hit, by the way, is a song called Poop, 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 Poop Song. That's been streamed <laughs> 8 million oh, times on. on Amazon Music. He makes That's where he makes his money. But he makes the point that he didn't get into this to sort of hack the system. He was doing this back in the day, back in 2013. He was like, I lucked out because smart devices weren't even a thing when I wrote poop in my fingernails. But it turns out I was biding my time, unaware. He was selling it on um, on a cassette, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, in a nightclub. So will you listen to my new tape? Wow. Um, the um, the Joey Helpish and Kristen Muir one, this song, which is called um, Poopy Stupid Butt, um, they ran a music school in Oregon and they work with autistic kids and they were kind of just trying to come up with songs and it's just a part of the, of the playtime mm -hmm. almost. Uh, and they asked this four-year-old to... It's weird. They asked a four-year-old for a five syllables, which... 
I don't know if four-year-olds know what syllables are, but they asked them for four syllables and this girl shouted out, poopy, stupid butt, and they decided to write a song with the... It's almost like an improv yeah, game. Yeah, And he said, all the kids, because they have a bunch of songs, all the kids have sort of co-written the songs. Um, and I don't want to cause shit here, but I don't, I don't know if these kids are getting their royalties. I don't think they've seen a penny yeah, of it. This is a good point. You know, we were talking wow. royalties at the beginning with the counting system. You know, that's, that is harder to get, mm. but should these kids be reimbursed these are definitely co-writers like there's no way that that's not that's not a co-writer so so we are we are we we thought we were going to have a fun time here yeah but now it's time for legal action (laughs) (laughs) Mm. um i was looking up novelty songs in general i think country music is very good at kind of not novelty Uh songs exactly but like yeah Country music songs have incredible titles, and I just I made a list of my favourite ones. Um, there's "Dropkick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life." <laughs> yeah, oh, that's like. okay. Hell, <laughs> that's America. <laughs> that's country. Yeah. That's not even novelty. That's just down the line country. Somebody named Travis wrote that song <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, get your tongue out of my mouth because I'm kissing you goodbye. Love oh. it. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, <laughs> And final, I wouldn't take her to a dogfight because I'm afraid she'd win. Okay. Hell yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, a bit sexist that one. <laughs> just a bit. Well. Um, no, she's just great. She's a strong woman. <laughs> she's got big teeth. That's all. I have. I haven't listened to the song. It's entirely possible that's the message of it, and I'd like to think it is. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think what you would say is the greatest novelty songwriter? Alive. Alive. Oh Alive. Tom um, Lehrer. Oh, Tom Lehrer, yeah. Oh, yes. Tom Lehrer. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. Maybe parody is where I'm sitting. He's. A, I think of him as a satirist. Uh, yeah. uh, like know. Bo Burnham, maybe? But, but he is the I'm greatest. thinking he Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, Weird Al, Because yeah, okay. he's well, made yeah. an entire career of, of doing these yeah. novelty parodies, and he's had number one albums. Well, he's had certainly one number one album, which was his last album in, in 2014 or 13. Um, oh, interesting. And um, what's interesting is he suffers huge hugely from people misattributing other people's parodies to being him. So if you go on oh. if you go on torrent sites to download songs, there will be so many songs that are under his name and it's a huge problem for him because a lot of these songs have terrible attitudes about them you know they're right. racist they're sexist they're they're promoting things that he doesn't agree with and so fans have sort of backed him and tried to separate the non-real songs from the real ones there's a there's a website called the not al page where you can look at all the songs <laughs> that are supposedly his songs uh, and then telling you who the real person is um so he really hates it because he says he puts a lot of work into his songs he, he did one song about a duck he spent a week in a library researching ducks in order to get you know the God. right kind R.L. Stein could have written an entire Goosebumps <laughs> novel in the time it took him researching ducks. But there's one thing he's really going to hate, which has been developed in his name, which is there's now Weird Al Yankovic AI, which can generate parody lyrics oh, yeah. that then be attached to existing songs, which then you can sing as as karaoke. So he is now effectively an AI. It's going to happen to us all. Yeah, That's how it works. Will no, that but... happen to us all? Yeah, it will, except that all of ours will be way less good and interesting and fun than that. Yeah, because actually, you know, computers could already count to a million, but that guy still did it and still got popular for counting to a million, right? Jeremy. Did he get popular? I mean, we mentioned him on a podcast, so there's that. (laughs) Jeremy Harper, he's still out out there. He's probably on... Five million by now. Yeah, I think true. it must be so hard to count to a million because once you're in like three hundred sixty-four thousand nine hundred twenty-seven, 
I've already forgotten the start of what I just said, you know? 300-something, yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. It's tough. Or well, maybe you just get into a groove. Alexa, count to a million. <laughs> that would be a good way of, like, keeping Alexa busy, you know? <laughs> That's what we need. Stop listening to me. Just count. This, this isn't for you to hear. I don't want to be listened to. I don't want to be spied on in my home. No, thank you. <laughs> Go to your room and count to a million. <laughs> the process of um, training Alexa was very strange because they, they needed a load of human voice samples to train people on, right? And so they, I think Amazon hired a load of flats and houses in Boston and Seattle and they got people in to read scripts of the sort of things maybe that you might ask an Alexa and the scripts were bizarre I wonder if it was those same um, Boston ballerinas as did the other thing <laughs> definitely definitely yeah. you need to get an appointment now if your vagina's sounding like that um, but no the, well the problem was that, that obviously the houses and flats that, that Amazon had hired they had this string of strangers turning up at a random house all of a sudden and so on I think more than one occasion the police were called hmm. Because they thought it was either drug dealing going on or there was, you know, that suddenly, uh, like it was suddenly become a brothel. And um, and the police showed up and they just saw these actors and some rather sheepish Amazon staff saying, oh, there's nothing going on here, nothing to see here. Um, uh, yeah. That's amazing. She, she, we, they keep it secret who Alexa is, but uh, a journalist mm. did find out. It's a lady called Nina Roll. Uh, she lives in Boulder, Colorado. And um, she's basically signed effectively like an NDA. You know, she got called up. She said, I can't say anything. They make sure that she doesn't say anything in return. But you can hear other ads that she has done where you can identify mm. the voice. So she's on her website. You can hear her doing an ad for Mott's Apple Juice um, <laughs> or a Volkswagen ad. And, and you know it's definitely her. But the original, original Alexa voice was for a system that was called Ivana. And that was a Polish thing. And um, it was a sort of voice synthesizer. And that originally had a male actor who was the voice behind it called Jacek Labiak. And he had a horrible time because when it was being used in Poland, the voice synthesizer was being used for everything. So he'd pick up his phone and he'd be receiving calls from an automated voice, which was him urging him to vote <laughs> for a candidate in an upcoming election. Oh my God. And then people would <laughs> say really racist, random things using his voice and putting it up online. So he suddenly was hounded by his own voice wherever he went. This, but it just ruined him. This happened with TikTok as well. TikTok, TikTok had like a thing where you could type in some text and then it would have a person's voice say it and it was tapping into an actor's voice thing that had been created but the actor had not given permission for it to be used in this use case and uh and it was used to say many terrible things that uh, the actor could hear herself saying, and she sued TikTok about it, and you can no longer get that voice. Then they launched wow, a bunch of wow. other voices, and they actually did like a partnership with Disney so that you can like have the voice of like the Mandalorian say things, or Yoda, or I think Chewbacca also was an option, <laughs> but it just made Chewbacca noises. <laughs> yeah. Hank, are you worried then? Because there's so much of you out there on the internet are you worried someone's going to make a replacement you yeah i was just thinking about this like how how far in the future is it before like i could be dead but uh, but also still making youtube videos like already <laughs> authors die and then they keep making books somehow because like yeah. you know what you know what the vibe is you know the kinds of books and even before they're dying they're working with co-authors and they just keep making books after they're dead yeah tom clancy virginia andrews yeah. um there's so many examples uh, but like at what point Am I just going to keep tweeting after I die? Mm. Like, how hard would yes. that be? They're not that good. 
<laughs> well, there was someone recently on Twitter who said that people should be collecting lots of audio of their loved yeah. ones so that in 10 years' time, we'll be able to have virtual loved ones where it'll oh, be yeah. their voice saying things that they might say to you, which... Yeah. yeah. Didn't William Shatner, he did a whole thing where he's recorded himself saying so many things and there's a virtual hologram of Shatner now that can basically interact yeah. with a kind of chat GBT response. Think- but it's Shatner And the plan responded. is that your, for example, your um, grandmother, let's say your grandmother's passed away, she can still read your children a bedtime story or, or, right. or DJ mm. for you, if you like. Do they? You know. <laughs> DJ, <laughs> Granny's, Granny's DJ. Dan, do they call it ChatGPT? Oh, oh wow. Beautiful. They should My do. <laughs> uh, I'm worried that they're going to create an AI me, but base it on like 2007 me, because I kind of hate that guy. <laughs> What's wrong with him? He sounds all right. I don't know. He's he's just got a lot of energy I don't have anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What's peak you? What's peak Hank to just so we know? <laughs> just just within the last few years, please. Oh, you always think that. I'm though. sure that I'm sure that uh, in the future I will also consider my current self cringe. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it is it is weird thinking about yourself a few years ago. They have things where you can like send yourself an email in the future, can't you? Yes, and stuff like that. Um, maybe you can do that where it will be your own voice and your own face and everything in the future just send yourself a message saying I'm not a jerk honestly I'm cool oh block and delete (laughs) block and delete that guy no he's emailing me all the time I don't want to hear from him he's a wanker oh 2006 Andy mortifying 19 year old could you imagine that like you from 2006 parenting your current child no never I think my 2006 me would have a lot more energy than 2023 me yeah Yeah, I think that is correct he could certainly drink more Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. James? At James Harkin. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. And Hank? I'm at Hank Green. Yep, that's right. Or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or our website, nosuchthingasafish.com. All of our previous episodes are there. Do check them out. Hank, what else should people check out with yours? Yeah, I'm at SciShow Tangents. It's a comedy science podcast game show trivia thing. It's fun. (laughs) And it features current Hank, the best Hank available. So do check it out now. Uh, We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. It's been very funny, you guys. You guys are so funny. Oh, thanks. That's okay. I'm getting a pedo erection. (laughs) Uh, Are you sure it wasn't a pico erection? Uh,